This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. We're going to be reading in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. If you'd like to find that and follow along. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in with, with, that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. So something I've discovered along the way is how important it is to have the right tool for the job, the right tool for the job. Uh, I seem to find myself in the predicament often where I have the nail in my hand and I'm ready to, to pound it in, and I reach in my tool belt, but I don't have my hammer. Now, I've already measured everything, so I'm not going to just throw that away and try it all again. I reach in, and sometimes I'll find a tool and you know, maybe a pair of pliers. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, listen, I don't let it deter me at all. I just march ahead, right? I, I move forward, and I try to pound that nail with a, do you know how hard that is? Really, really ineffective and potentially very dangerous. To have the wrong tool for the job is ineffective at best and disastrous at worst. And I want to say this morning that oftentimes we've approached discipleship with the wrong tool for the job. We have tried the tool, both in ourselves and as we disciple others, we've tried the tool of, of duty. This is your duty. You need to be a good husband and a good father. So get after it. Make this happen. And we've tried to use a tool of duty to disciple. We've tried to use the tool of guilt. You just not get this. Come on, do this better. Quit being such an idiot. Quit being so stupid. God hates it when you're like this. We try to use the tool of guilt and the tool of guilt is ineffective or have a more self-discipline. I'm going to get it this time. I'm going to get it. I'm going to nail it. Sometimes we use the tool of shame and if we're not careful, Accountability can be this, where we're just shaming one another. Those are all the wrong tools. Tell your neighbor, that's the wrong tool. It's the wrong tool. So what is the right tool? 
What's the right tool to use when you're trying to encourage and motivate someone onto Christ's likeness? What's the right tool? Well, let's look at what Paul uses as the right tool. Because here, here we are in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is coming after a whole lot of other book or uh, other content in the book. And uh, there are some big, big problems in the church in Corinth. Uh, take, for example, in the chapter one where they are dividing themselves and following different church leaders. They're dividing over church. I'm with Paul. I'm with Apollos. And there's division in the church. By the way, not a massively big church, but in that church, there were all these divisions going on. They were tolerating incest. Some guy ended up uh, marrying his stepmother, and, and that whole became a thing, and the church knew about it, and they were kind of proud of the fact that they were tolerating this. They were bringing lawsuits against each other, not settling things in a biblical, godly manner, but suing each other in the courts. They were excusing sexual immorality. It was a very pagan, very sexually drenched culture, and they were excusing that. And talk about the Lord's Supper. Sometimes they would come and, and the rich and affluent would come first and they'd bring all the good food and all the good wine and they'd drink it all and eat it all. The poor folks would come later and they'd have nothing left. And they called that the love feast. That's problems. Imagine if that was redemption. I'm with Drew or I'm with Adam or maybe two or three people. I'm with Jamie. Hopefully my family. I'm with Jamie. <laughs> Some guy was... Married to a stepmother, and we knew about it. We were just, yeah, it's okay, man, it's great, it's okay. I mean, that'd, be, that'd be problematic, wouldn't it be problematic? And this was the problems in the church. And Paul wants to fix them. He wants to help them. He wants to motivate them. He wants to apply the right tool to the job. So what does he do? Well, take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, and let's let our eyes fall again on 15.1. 15.1, not duty. Not more self-control, not more self-discipline, not guilt, not shame. But he says this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, read these three words with me, of the gospel. The gospel was the tool that Paul went to to help them grow. Listen, the church had problems, and the solution to those problems was the gospel. Remember the gospel. That word remember is really interesting in the original language. It's very emphatic has the idea of, I want, I want to teach this to you again. It's, it's almost, it kind of borders on sarcasm. Like, you've obviously forgotten something here. You've obviously forgotten something important. You've obviously forgotten this little thing we call um, the gospel. So he comes in and it says, you guys need to remember something. And I want to call to your mind again. I want to teach you again the gospel. And that remembering is really a, 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 I, a the pattern of your life should fall under this. The, the passion of your life should be this. Why is it not this? I want to remind you again about the gospel. So we're just going to make that our big idea of the day. Remember the gospel. When I say remember, I mean pattern your life after the gospel. Live it as a lifestyle. Live the gospel as a lifestyle. Do you remember the day you were saved? Listen, right now, think back to the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Do you remember that day? Do you remember what you had to believe? Do you remember what you prayed? Do you remember what was all happening in that moment? Now, now is, is, is that gospel, those gospel truths, is that what you're 
living in? Is that the pattern of your life? What does it even look like? Well, good question. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask that of Paul. And check this out now. What we're going to do, Paul lines this out in verses 1 and 2. Take a look at this. Now, I'll remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, in which you received, and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. So you have kind of like this outline that Paul just gave us. And what it does then for the rest of the text, 3 through 11, is it really unpacks and shows what that outline looks like in real life. So we're going to take those three key words, receive, um, stand in, and hold fast to the gospel as the way in which we're going to put gospel centrality into our life. So first of all, write this down. Let's talk about receiving the gospel. Let's talk about receiving the gospel. Receive the gospel. Uh, interesting word that Paul used, and uh, but what what does that word mean? Well, there are several things uh, that are meant by that word, and and uh, to help you understand this, I'm actually going to pull from the Bible, but also other Greek authors to kind of give you a robust understanding of that word. It's an important word, and it comes up twice. So you see it there in verse number one, in which you received. Take a look at verse number three, and he says the gospel that he received. He imparts to us what he also received. So there's that word again, and what does that word mean? Well, there are several. Uh, several things to it. Uh, one way is the idea of welcoming someone into your home. So, Court, would you come up here with me again for a moment? Thank you, babe. And do I have any other family? Grant's here. Grant, come on over here, buddy. You're in my home, too. Bunch of redheads. Praise the Jesus. Landon, come on up. Maddie Grace. Oh, the whole family's here. Oh, you needed to see how wonderful it is to see a bunch of redheads in front of you. That's what you needed to see this morning. Do you, ever, you guys ever do this? Like, I was at the... the um, restaurant the other day and a waitress she had red hair i almost want to say hey we're the same we both got red hair you know what i'm talking about yeah all right i knew that all right so let's say that aaron is traveling and uh he's he's gonna come and we're gonna receive him into our home as a guest now in our day it's like come maybe eat dessert and play games and then by nine o'clock you should go uh you know that's that's how we do it today right but in that day it was we're bringing him into our home he's he's not just a part of our family he's like an honored guest and so we're gonna be sure he's got the food he needs he's sleeping well he's he can take a bath and we're going to do all those things for him because he's an honored guest and we're receiving, we're welcoming him into our family, into our home. That's how this word is used. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, family. Um, so that, that's one way it's used. Another way it was used, actually, Plato used it this way. Plato used it to talk about his students receiving his teaching. And the concept was, it wasn't just Plato, it was, it was all of the history of his teachers and their teachers and the, the weight of the whole kind of collective wisdom that the student was then bringing into their life. They were receiving it, it was weighty, it was a weighty thing. Sometimes it's used in writings of passing on and receiving culture, like a family heritage, a family culture. I remember the day when my dad called me into the kitchen and he said, boy, I'm going to show you how to make fried chicken. And it was a big deal. Okay. So he had the chicken there and he got the, show me how to cut up the chicken just right. And, and then how to make the egg wash and then how to do the coating and how to put it all together. And I would, I would tell you the recipe for the seasoning, but then I'd have to kill you all because it is just, but the family recipe and how to cook it up just right. And you see, he had received that from his mother who received that from her mother and was passed down. And so this wasn't some recipe from a cookbook. This was like the family recipe being passed down to me. And I was receiving that. Do you get the idea? 
Lastly, uh, the, the way the Bible uses it the most is uh, talking about marriages. Talking about marriages. Um, you guys aren't afraid of being in front of people. Connor and, would you guys, oh, just, just for a second. You're all right. And what we're going to do, Connor, come over, remember this? You, you, how, you guys have been married how long? About a year. So this wasn't that long ago. So st- stand here like the groom. And Adrian, you're going to go down here. And just remember the day you walked down the aisle. So remember that day. All right. So here she comes. And so Connor is receiving her. And he takes her arm. And they stand in front of the thing. Oh, you love this, don't you? Look at her face. Uh, so uh, uh, and, and, he, and, he's re- and back in that day, he, w- he was receiving not just the wife, but the culture and the family heritage and all of that, that weight of responsibility being taken on. That's how the Bible most uses this word receiving. Joseph received Mary as his wife. Thank you guys very much. Receiving. Do you see, the, do you see that? It, it's, it's diving down into that word believe, the word faith. Because we, we all had a faith. You have to believe. In fact, Paul uses that later to say, unless you believed in vain, receiving and believing are the same thing. But it, but it puts a little bit more of a weighty understanding of what it means to really receive the gospel, to really receive it. You're, you're, you're taking on something to the core. You're taking on something weighty that you really understand is very important. So what truths? What truths should you receive that way? Paul is clear in verse number three. Look at it with me. Verse number three. For I delivered to you as of first importance, that which I also received. Okay, what did you receive, Paul? Here it is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried and rose again the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Two kind of phrases that really talk about three key truths. Here's one. You need to understand the fact that you're a sinner. That's kind of understood in the text. That he died for our sin. That means that you understand the fact that you're a sinner. This, listen, this has to go beyond, yeah, I've done some bad stuff, and I know I'm, I'm kind of bad. Now think about the idea of receiving the full weight. Think about the receiving the full weight of the scriptures and what the, in accordance with the scriptures. What has the scriptures told us about mankind? Look at the Old Testament. What has the Old Testament told us about humans? That we're finicky, that we're, we can't keep the law at all. In case you think you can keep the law, just go back to the Ten Commandments. Don't bear false witness or don't lie. Uh, anyone here lied before? Go ahead, you can raise your hand. This is a place you can just raise your hand. Great, all right. Yeah, you ever covet somebody else's things, right? If not, just come, go look up my cruise outside. You'll covet that bad boy. It is a, it is a fine, fine automobile. Uh, um, I won't have you raise your hand for this, but adultery? I've never done that. Well, Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lustful intent in your heart, you've already created, uh, committed adultery. It's, it's receiving that. It's receiving the full weight of what the scriptures say about who you are. I'm a sinner. But look at the text. Christ died for our sins. This Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, this guy who hung on a cross outside the gates of Jerusalem, this guy who died on Golgotha, he died for your sin. He took on your sin. And it's receiving that, which is both weighty and glorious. 
because also he rose again. That he rose the third day. It was buried and rose the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He rose again. He was victorious over death. He was victorious over sin. Hell could not keep him. He rose again over all of that. And it's receiving that. It's bringing that into the core of your being. That's what it means to receive the gospel. And, and I just wonder... As I look at the state of the church in America, the evangelical church in America, it makes me wonder, have we really done a good job with unpacking the gospel in such a way that we help people to really receive it? Or have we fallen into what MacArthur would call easy believism? You know, things like, Hey, just ask Jesus into your heart. Just ask Jesus to be part of your life. I can pray either of those two prayers and not feel the weight of my own sin and not receive the full weight that the Bible talks about, about how he was bruised for our iniquities in in accordance with the scriptures, bruised for our iniquities, crushed for our transgressions. Like, like, Like I can just ask Jesus to be in my life and never really fully own my sin and own his death and then own his resurrection. And I wonder about the church in America. I wonder about the church sitting in front of me right now. And I'm wondering what you've done. When I said earlier, remember the day you were saved? Did you go back to that day? Were you really understanding the full weight of what you were taking on that day? That you're a, I mean, how old do you have to be? I don't even know. But, but that you understand that Jesus, I'm a sinner, and Jesus died for me, but he rose again, and I'm bringing that in. Now, if that's something that maybe is a question mark in your mind, listen, you got to get that settled. It's not hard to do, and we're going to lead you through there again today to help you see that fully. But I want to challenge you with that. But recognize this. This church, this book was written to the church. And this book was written to believers. And so as those who have truly received Christ, we need to keep on receiving. I believe that once saved, always saved. When you make that decision, it's once for all. The Bible is clear. You're placed in the hand of Jesus Christ. No one's going to pluck you out of that hand. I mean, that's all settled if it's real. But now, if it is, if it is real with you, man, Paul is saying, remember that. Come back to that. Receive it again. Remind yourself again that you're a sinner, that Jesus died for you and he rose again. And let that be the pattern of your life. That's what it means to remember the gospel. So a couple questions here that I want to ask you. Have you really, really taken these truths to your core? Have you received these truths, welcoming them into your life? Just things to think through. But also this, write this down as well. 
Receiving the gospel or remembering the gospel means receiving the gospel. Remembering the gospel means standing in the gospel, standing in the gospel. The word there in the, if you see the word stand, so again, back to the text, take a look at verse number one again. Now, I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. Here it is. And in which you stand. You see the word there, stand? Uh, that word means to be firmly established, okay? Firmly established. Hey, Sam. Come here for a second, would you, buddy? Thank you. Yeah, come on up here. Sam, how old are you? Uh, You're 15. Okay, cool. Would you just stand here, and would you stand like a 15-year-old boy does when he's trying to be cool? Good job. All right, so there you go. All right, so there's... (laughs) There's Sam. And, but standing, you stand like this is pretty easy to take care of Sam that way. Come over here again, bud. What are you doing? I can do this. But now, Sam, I want you to stand as if you're in a, in a fight. And you're ready. And I know you've never been in a fight, and you never would because you're, you're in... <laughs> Please don't. Please don't ever get into a fight. But here's, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put one foot like this and kind of like do a T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind of bend your knees a little bit. Get ready. So now I want to push you. It's a much harder because he's, he's firmly established, right? That's what it means. Thank you, Sam. (laughs) He's going to get himself beat up. All right. So, so church, 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 what are we, what are we standing on? What are we standing on? Come on, according to the text, what are we standing on? The gospel, the gospel, the gospel in which you stand. Well, what in the world does it mean to like stand on the gospel. I mean, think about your past week. Did you stand on the gospel this week? Are you going to stand on the gospel this coming week? Okay, what does that mean to stand on the gospel? Well, thankfully, Paul helps us here by unpacking for it, if, if you'll take a look at this. Now, verse number three and four, he lines that again, and he the main thing he's trying to do in, in 15 is to help the Corinthians know their resurrection is important. That's the main thing he's trying to do. So what he does from the next part of this verse, he talks about the many appearances of the resurrection. And then from 12 on, it's really all about the resurrection. And it's a really cool passage to read. But he does this as he's doing that. And I want you to look in verse number, um, let's go to verse number eight, if you would, please. Because here's what he did. Uh, talking about the resurrection, he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Look what he says. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So here's one thing it's going to mean to stand in the gospel. Write this down. Standing in the gospel means standing in deep humility. Standing in a, in a, in a deep humility. Paul. <laughs> Paul says, I'm the least. I'm the least. In another text, he says, I'm the worst of sinners. Think about what you have to believe to really be saved. You have to believe that you are nothing and that you bring nothing to the table. You know, like our culture tells you every day. Or the opposite of that. And you have to admit, not only am I nothing, but I'm, I'm a sinner who deserves hell. That's a, that's a weighty thing to receive. But once I have received that and then believe that Jesus died for me, like, like, who cares then about who I am? It's all about who Jesus is. So sure, I can admit 
my failures and my shortcomings? Of course I can, because the cross has already laid me bare. I mean, I had to go to the cross saying, I'm nothing, I'm a wretch, I'm horrible. Be merciful to me, God, a sinner. And he forgives me, so of course I fall short. So to to stand in the gospel means to stand in that humility. So can I ask you a question? No, I'm going to anyway. The question is this. How hard is it for you to admit that you're wrong? Okay, I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to ask your spouse. How hard is it for you to admit that you're wrong? We're not good at this because we really don't ever want to be wrong because we don't want to be laid bare. But again, the gospel lays us bare already. And you can admit, shouldn't shock your spouse that you're a sinner. The gospel tells us that. It shouldn't shock Christians to find sinners in the church. That church is full of hypocrites. Um, yeah, and gluttons, and thieves, and perverts, and all other kinds of problems. Because that's what the church is, a bunch of rotten sinners who have been saved by Christ. More on that in a moment. But that receiving of that truth, how hard is it for you to admit that you're wrong? It's especially hard when your spouse is pointing out a sin in your life. Honey, you are being prideful. Who, me? Me be prideful? That didn't hit in the first service either. That was prideful, okay? That was a prideful response. That one's going in the garbage. All right, so you're selfish. And we just want to, we want to push back against those things. Well, the gospel should allow you to say, yeah, yeah I probably am being prideful because that's who I am. I'm a sinner. Saved by Jesus, but I'm a sinner. And there's a humility that's intrinsic, a humility intrinsic to the gospel. What would your family be if we just owned our own sin? What would it look like? And husbands, if you led the way just to own your own sin, to admit it, it means this. It means having to ask your kids and your wife for forgiveness a lot. And it's a good thing. Because they already know you're a sinner. Trust me. That means this. Standing in the gospel means it brings to us a new identity, a new identity. Verse 10 is incredible. Take a look at verse 10. Let your eyeballs fall on verse number 10. Check this out. Verse 10 says this. Again, verse number 9 first. We'll take 9 leading into 10 because it's too cool not to. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Now watch. But, 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 but by the grace of God, I am what I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Who was Paul? Paul was an apostle. Paul was a missionary. Paul brought the gospel to the known world at that time. Paul was the author of two-thirds of the New Testament. And yes, there is a humility, but church, listen to me. There's also a confidence in our new identity in Christ. And I know I hit hard against the you're unworthy thing. I do it all the time because I'm really fighting against what the culture is pushing you to. But I also want to stand here and to say that in Christ, you are something. In Christ. And Paul was able to say, I am what I am, but not I, but Christ in me. (laughs) And you have something to offer the kingdom of God. You have something to offer your fellow believers. You are something because of what Christ has done. Listen, standing in the gospel does not mean walking around like a wretch all the time. It doesn't. And that's a lot of the ways that churches operate today where they'll every sermon seems like another reminder of how much i suck and how little i'm doing right and how rotten i am and 
and you trudge in every week just to hear another way that you're not living this out right and you're not getting it right. And uh, There's this song out right now. It's a country song. And, and so I know, I know. Some of you prayed for this in my life, and I hate you for that. And, uh, but uh, Blake Shelton has this new country song called Bible Verses. Have you heard this song? He talks about sometimes I just want to read the like Bible verses and not like the Bible verses me. It's not like a lot of the preaching that he has is like really harsh against him. And like, I just can't live up to it. And, and I, I preach to my, I, my little home pod, like Blake, Jesus take, took care of it for you. Just got to believe in Jesus. Believe the gospel. He died for you. He hasn't responded yet, but maybe one day Siri has says, please stop yelling at me. But that's another story. But point being is that that kind of gospel, that kind of law, here's the law, live it. Here's the law, live it. It just doesn't work. It didn't work for anybody in the Old Testament. It doesn't work for us today. And Paul didn't stand on the law, did he? Did Paul stand on his own righteous ability to keep the law? Did he look at Philippians 3? He most certainly did not. But take a look at our text. Take a look at verse 10. Just in Bible study, get your eyes on this. There's one word repeated three times in verse 10. Look at your Bibles. Look at... Our text, what words repeated three times in verse 10? Grace, 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 grace. Paul stood in grace. Church, Paul stood in grace. And how we're going to remember the gospel, put the gospel on as a pattern of living in our life. As we're going to do that, it's going to mean standing in grace. You're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Church, listen, in Christ, you are a child of God. In Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. In Christ, you are an ambassador of Jesus. In Christ, you are loved. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are redeemed. You're purchased. You're saved. In Christ, you are holy. That's who you are in Christ by his grace. And stand in that. Stand in his grace. Church, if I couldn't stand in God's grace, there's no way I could stand up here and ever preach to you because I am unworthy. But by his grace. Standing in the gospel brings a deep humility. Standing in the gospel brings a new identity. Write this down as well. Standing in the gospel brings a passionate motivation. A passionate motivation. Take a look at verse number 10 again. This is so cool. Verse number 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Do you see what happened here? Paul's like, man, I persecuted the church. I drug people off to prison. People died because I was there. I mean, remember he was there at Stephen's uh, stoning? And he took the coats. He gave approval of the death of this man. How much more did Paul have of that in his life? And yet here he says, God saved me. God saved me. And what that did to me is it made me want to live for him. And it drew within his heart this incredible passion. And that's what receiving the gospel does. Church, when you really receive these truths, man, it should fire you up to live for him. I remember when this came dawned on me in my life and I was pastoring and struggling and preaching the law like big time man listen to some of the don't do this but there are some on YouTube you'll see me fully in a suit 
And you'll hear me preach with what we call preacher's voice because I used to speak like this every time I opened the word of God. Don't listen to them. They're horrible. But anyway, uh, going back to all of that, like I remember like being caught up in the fact that even though you're a wretched sinner, God has forgiven you and God has loved you. And, and God just saying to me, Jamie, I'm going to allow you to be in ministry even though you don't deserve it. And I'm like, oh, God, that is so incredible. And man, I want to I just give my all to him. This is why there is no place for lukewarm Christianity at the cross. Revelation 3.15 says this, I know your works. You were neither cold nor hot. Whether you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Yeah, I love Jesus. Yeah, I love tacos. There should be a little bit of difference about your passion for tacos and your passion for Jesus. And I'm convinced some people are more fired up for tacos than they are for Jesus. What else in your life is more important than him? What else in your life fires you up more than Christ? Well, I want to be some crazy fanatic. Well, maybe you should be if you're really understanding and receiving the truths. That's what it means. Think about all these things. Humility. Identity. Motivation. That's what it means to own this. In the army... We had, uh, you know, lots of different examples of soldiers. Some of the guys were there probably because their choices were join the army or go to prison. You had a good handful of those guys. And uh, some were just there because they just really had no other alternative in life. So they just going to join the army. I was like, okay, I'll do that. And you could really tell for how they conducted themselves as soldiers. They were just kind of like, eh, eh. They knew they were a soldier, but they weren't really living in their identity as a soldier. And then there were the guys who, like, like, they were patriots, right? And they were there to protect that eagle. You know, they were just going to do it. And they, they had sworn, and, and they were just, they were tight, and they were sharp, and they were, and they were on it. My battle buddy was like that in, in basic training. I mean, he was super, super hardcore. And, 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 and which would you rather have guarding your border? Which would you rather have going to the front lines for you? Like you want the guy who's fired up, who owns it. And I mean, you've just, as a Christian, you just got to be there. You can't kind of be a Christian. Like you can't kind of be pregnant, right? I mean, you either are or you aren't. And if you're really receiving this and owning this, it should fire you up. So my question, do you really believe this? Do you really, truly believe this? It's an important question to answer because it leads us to our last point, to hold fast to the gospel, to hold fast to the gospel. And I want you to see this in the text with me. Take a look, if you would, at now verse number three, because there's a little warning. Sorry, verse number two. Verse number two is a little warning that it gives. And I want you to see this. And by which you are being saved is a participial phrase leading to the imperative. And by which you're being saved, if you hold fast, that's the imperative, hold fast, hold fast. You need to hold fast to this. Okay, this needs to be something you stand in because uh, you may have believed in vain. Hold fast, he says, to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Unless it wasn't real. Because here's the reality. If you don't hold fast and you've just proven it wasn't real. See, this confuses a lot of people. And, and they could be like, well, okay, so does that mean I have to hold fast to be saved? Like, like is salvation all of a sudden my work that I have to do it now? I've got to be the one to do this? Well, no, the Bible says clearly that it's not you, it's God. 
Uh, but here's what it means is that if it is real, you will hold fast. You will hold fast and your holding fast proves that out. And I, listen, I didn't, I didn't plan for this to be the third or fourth message in which I stand in front of you and say, church, be sure it's real. And in the past year, I don't know, maybe the 10th or 12th, I'm not smart enough to plan all that. Thank you for not saying amen. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. But this is God's leading. This was the text that we felt he was leading us to. And here it is again, this warning to say, be sure it's real. Be sure it's real. Or as Paul said, therefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, so now not, all, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What have you really done with Christ? Have you really received these things? Or when you were five, you kind of said a prayer that maybe it was that and maybe it wasn't. Because what we're seeing all across our country now are Christian celebrities deconstructing their faith and walking away from it entirely. I'm not sure if you've heard of Rhett and Link. These guys um, do a podcast called Good Mythical Morning. And they, they're funny, but they have a lot of um, material out, podcasts, articles about how they've deconstructed their faith. And what they mean by that is they've really walked away from the faith. Uh, Jen Hatmaker hasn't officially left the faith, but a lot of the key components of Christianity, she's, she's deconstructed those and no longer holds to them. And I remember seeing uh, Rob Abel in his book, Love Wins, when that came out, and the video he put out that was like, really? God's going to send a bunch of people to hell? Really is that God? He deconstructed his faith and ended up not believing in the gospel. Very recently, Joshua Harris, the dude who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye, he, he's, he no longer claims Christianity at all and told the world as much with really pretty curated photos of himself looking off into the distance. I mean, if you deconstruct your faith, that requires a photographer to come and take... There's nothing wrong with that. Can we agree to that? That's a problem. So what? Were they once believers and now they aren't believers? Because they didn't hold fast? No, listen. Perseverance doesn't keep us saved. Perseverance proves that we really are saved. That's the difference. Hold fast, hold fast. And so I've got to stand here again this morning and I've got to ask you the question again, do you really believe this? What have you received? Are you passionately fired up about Jesus and what he's done for you? Or is it kind of a, eh, I want to encourage you. This is what it means to live, to, to live in the gospel. You have to receive the gospel. And you've got to really, really hold fast and really, really believe these things are true for you. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to remember the gospel again by taking communion. That it, what a great way to end the service is by taking the Lord's table together. And I know we're a little late, but that's your, I, you know, as late as the first service, I kept it even longer. So you're welcome. So I'm going to have my elders come and just grab what we're going to do. They're going to grab, they're going to have the bread. They're going to have the, the juice. And, um, I'm going to take a moment and just pray. And we'll try to do four. If we can do four, one, two, three, four different lines of this to make this kind of move for us. And what I want you to do is first of all, start by just having a word of prayer there in your seat. So look, look up here, look up here. I know they're distracting, but here's, this is important now. You're dealing with the Lord right now. 
And I want you to sit there and quietly pray for a second and ask, Lord, is this real in me? Is this real in me? Have I really received this? Have I really received the fact that, Jesus, your body was broken for my sin? I'm a sinner. I deserve to be broken, but you were broken in my place. And Jesus, I, I believe, really have received deeply the fact that your blood was shed for me. And maybe if you come to the conclusion, maybe I haven't done this, you can do it right there. You can just say, now the prayer doesn't save you. Your faith in Jesus saves you. But you make that known with your mouth and you can pray and say, God, forgive me for being a sinner. And I receive again the broken body and the shed blood. Now communion doesn't save you either. (laughs) All that is done by the faith in Jesus. But I'm going to pray. God, thank you for your love and your goodness. Right now, as people consider this, I want to just ask, Lord, that you would help them deal in their hearts with this and help them to, to know that they know that they are believers. And maybe even right now, someone could be praying and saying, Father, I don't know for sure if I know. All it takes is this. All it takes is believing the fact and receiving in my heart the fact that Jesus died for me. I deserve hell, but he died for me. And then receiving the fact that he rose again and I'm forgiven, and I'm made new. And Father, owning that, I pray that you would help them to make that decision, to pray that prayer once again if they need to, and to be, and to be brought closer to you as a result. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So if you would, when you're ready, just come up, form a line, grab the, just come up through the middle, come out here, go off the side, and back around again on both sides. So come through the middle, grab it, go back around again on the other side.
in this gospel that we hold to, it's a big deal. It's the message of the universe. It's the central passion of our Lord that we know it and we live it and we help others to know it and live it. And so don't do this lightly. Hopefully you've confessed some sin in your heart. But what we're doing right now is a representation of what we do in the heart when we receive these truths. It's very intimate. It's very personal. And this isn't the body of Christ. This is a cracker. But it represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. So let's worship him together. And though this is not his blood, this is a representation of his blood that was shed to pay for our sin, not only our sin, but the sin of the world. And we need to get that story out to others who need it. But first, we need to receive it deeply ourselves. So church, let's worship him together. God, we just, um, who are we? Who are we that we should know this? As there are millions who don't know, but you've revealed it to us. And you've moved in our heart and our spirit to receive this gospel. And now we have the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. And Lord, that is so encouraging and so motivating. Lord, would you just spread that message all over the city of Fort Wayne? God, would you spread that message all over the city of Wabash, Indiana, as we plant Light City Bible Church? God, would you plant that city all over our country as we see more and more gospel-centered, Christ-exalting churches planted for your glory? And then, Father, help us to live and stand in, as a pattern of life, the gospel every day. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.